A special thanks goes out to the folks at Anchor.fm for bringing you this podcast. Hello, everyone. Today, the conclusion of Antonio Camiso's Paper Boys. I'm Tom Zania, and this is Tom Read Your Story. Coming to you almost live, it's time once again for Tom Reads Your Story, the number one spoken word podcast on the web for audiobooks, social media posts, current events, and just plain whatever. So let's start the show. For the next half hour, I'll be your host. I'm voice actor and podcaster, Tom Zania. In early September comes a story of horror and haunting regret. A group of homeless men, fishing for a little fun and folly, latch on to something that might be a mermaid. Remember, regret lives on and lingers long after the last teardrop has fallen. Harry's Mermaid is written by the poetic master of modern-day horror, Steve Vernon, and narrated by Tom Zanian. Rust Belt, USA, where steel is dead, hope is scarce, and hardship is a way of life. Miles Junction is but one of many northeastern Ohio towns, long forgotten and left behind, its residents living on the cusp of financial, emotional, even spiritual destitution. Taking place during the last few decades of the 20th century, in just the right light, written by William R. Solden and narrated by Tom Zania is a glimpse at one region's bleak inheritance and the precarious lives of those who remain to rummage through the fallout of its past. There's a doorway on Mars that has mankind's greatest minds perplexed. Deep beneath Mars, an ancient secret is revealed, and a team of explorers led by Forrest Judge, Deputy Commander. The doorway closes, and the team is trapped. Six mission specialists each with unique skills, each with different reasons for wanting to break free of the primordial trap. In Dinosaur Red, written by Edward J. McFadden III and narrated by Tom Zania, Judge is forced to choose between escape and changing the course of humanity. What will he do? All three of these great books are narrated by Tom Zania and are available now at audible.com. And we are back. Welcome back, everyone. I'm glad you're here. Today, well, you know what's going on. If you're a regular listener, we are going to finish up what I think is a very good book by a beginning author, at least he was at the time this book was published, Antonio Comiso. Um, He wrote... I think this is his very first book. Uh, He wrote this book about his childhood, mostly in regards to a time in his childhood when he was a paper boy. And uh, as you, if you've been listening, as you know, he uh, experienced uh, the death of one of his friends uh, while he was a child and attended his funeral. 
and that's pretty much where we left off. We are going to finish up chapter two, uh, the second half of chapter two, which is the conclusion of the book. And I think, uh, I think anyone can uh, take away a little from this story. Uh, can identify with some of it, maybe especially if you're a boy, a man. Um, you uh, can buy this, of course, at audible.com. Um, he now has, Antonio Camisso, has uh, two books out. The one book, uh, at least uh, last I checked, uh, he has two books out. Um, the second one is, of course, uh, Silent Partner. And I don't think he has made that into an audio book yet. I was asked to do it and at the time didn't have time for it. But, um, well, we'll see. Maybe I'll write to him and, and see if I can do it. Anyway. Uh, what else? Have I, what other news do I have? That should be it. It's a boring life, folks. Uh, let's finish up uh, the... Uh, well, oh, one more thing. Uh, there is another book I will be playing in its entirety, uh, as I've been with these past uh, two books. Um, that book is probably my best work. It's called Improvising Out Loud, My Life Teaching Hollywood How to Act. It is about a great actor and I think a great man. Uh, and his name, of course, is Jeff Corey. Jeff Corey is someone you've probably seen but maybe didn't know the name of. He's one of those types of actors, uh, but he had a terrific career uh, on the move uh, before the Hollywood blacklist decided he was a communist and uh, wouldn't let him work. So he became one of the greatest acting teachers in America and taught many Many actors, many of them famous, uh, or soon to be famous actors, um, and it's it's just a well written book by him and his daughter Emily, who I'm not sure is living anymore. I hate to say, I hope she's not listening to this, but I think she might be dead. I, I haven't, I only go by what I hear about on Facebook. And I know a lot of people, I know a lot of people go on Facebook and say, you know what, I'm not doing this anymore. You're not going to hear from me anymore. So maybe she just quit Facebook, but I don't know what's going on. I'd like to research that and see what's happening with her. Uh, she did a very good job with this book. And, um, Anyway, that's in the future. Now, whether or not it starts next week, I don't know. Uh, I tend to fly by the seat of my pants with the show, and 
uh, that's just the way it goes sometime. So uh, I'll either be starting to play that next week or something else. So getting back to the business at hand, let's conclude this book called Paper Boys by Antonio Camisso. Enjoy. I took my last drag, flicked the butt into a snowbank, and walked back around the corner. I scanned the line again, looking for Jimmy. I didn't see him, so I made my way home. The next day, I made it to the church twenty minutes early, climbed the steps, and entered. Inside, I let the warmth take the chill out of my bones. The church was already packed. I walked up the center aisle, searching for a place to squeeze in. An older woman noticed me. We made momentary eye contact, then she scooted over slightly and I slipped in. I knelt down and said a short prayer, then sat back and waited. I scanned the pews looking for Jimmy and Paul. I found Paul four pews in front of me, but no Jimmy. I closed my eyes and tried to meditate the tightness out of my gut, but the anticipation of what was to come and not seeing Jimmy made it impossible. Finally, silence came over the congregation. I looked toward the back of the church, where six pallbearers flanked the sides of a white-draped casket. A small group of people stood behind. In the center was Johnny's mother, dressed in black. Two people were grasping her arms. Her head hung over the casket. The sound of her sobs echoed through the church. Suddenly, the organ began to blare, and everyone stood and turned to the rear of the church. The entire congregation watched as the casket slowly edged its way up the aisle. As it got closer, I could hear the wailing sound of Johnny's mother repeating, Oh, my Johnny, oh, my Johnny. As the procession passed, I looked at Johnny's mother. Her inconsolable crying left me frozen. Finally, the casket reached the front of the church. Johnny's mother, along with the entire group, filed into the front pews, and everyone sat down. I dropped into my seat. I glanced back and caught Jimmy standing alone by the front door. Forty minutes later, the service ended. Everyone stood and watched the mourners follow the casket back down the aisle. The entourage continued on to the cemetery, and we all went to class. I sat at my desk, unable to get Johnny's mother and the casket out of my head. When the bell finally rang, I rushed out and looked for Jimmy. I saw him walking across the schoolyard. Hey, Jimmy, wait up, I called. He stopped and waited for me. You got any cigarettes? I asked. Yeah, he replied. Wait till we get down the street. We continued on, neither of us speaking. We walked until we were out of sight of the school. He pulled a pack of Winstons from his pocket and gave me one. I stuck it in my mouth. He lit a match, cupped it to block out the wind, and we lit up. I took a drag, exhaled. Thanks, I said, and we continued on. Finally, I broke the silence. Where you been? What do you mean? I tried to make eye contact, but he just stared ahead. 
I mean, you weren't at the wake last night, and what were you doing standing in the back of the church this morning? I was there last night, he said with a slight chuckle. I overslept this morning, so when I got there, they were just bringing the casket in, so I waited. What, are you keeping tabs on me now? Uh, no, I said. We walked on until it was time to split up. See you in the morning, I said. Yeah, see ya, he replied. And we parted. Gradually, we were back to our routine. By the end of the week, Hammerhead was old news. Saturday morning, Jimmy Paul and I delivered our papers, and after doing inserts, it was back to the sugar shack and pancakes. We devoured our food, then sat back sipping coffee and enjoying an after-meal smoke. Denise moved down the counter, refilling coffee cups. More coffee, boys? she asked. Not for me, Paul said. I gotta go. I'll have some more, Jimmy said, pushing his mug at Denise. She looked at me. You want some more, Tony? Okay, one more. Paul dropped some money on the counter. I'll see you guys tomorrow, he said, then put on his jacket and walked out. Jimmy and I sat back silent, sipping coffee and smoking. After a few minutes, he spoke. I didn't go to the wake, he said, giving me a weak glance. His remark surprised me. Before I could respond, he added, I was late getting to the church because I didn't want to go. How come? I asked. He just stared into his mug. After a long pause, without breaking eye contact with the cup, he said, I don't know. He tried to hide his discomfort with his usual laid-back demeanor. He took a long drag, exhaled, then shot me a glance. Maybe it's because I thought Hammerhead was this sorry asshole. And maybe I thought he didn't have any friends. And maybe I thought if I didn't let an asshole like Toad push him around, it might make him feel good. But all I did was fuck things up. I should have stayed out of it let Hammerhead go for Toad's stupid food. And maybe he wouldn't be where he is right now. I don't want to hear this, man. What happened, happened. And there was nothing you or anybody could do about it. Yeah, he said. He stayed silent, sipping coffee and smoking. Finally, Jimmy butted out his smoke, took a last gulp of Java, and we headed home. We exchanged small talk on the way home, Neither of us mentioned Hammerhead and all that had happened. When we split up, I said, See you tomorrow. Yeah, see you tomorrow, he replied. After that day, we never spoke about Hammerhead again. About the time spring was breaking, Paul, Jimmy, and I decided we'd stick it out with the paper routes till the end of the school year and just spend our last summer before high school goofing off. Every night, the gang would gather in the park, and we'd hang out smoking and playing cards. One night, a couple of the guys broke into the concession stand and stole some beer. They popped open the bottles and passed them around. I didn't really like the taste of it, but not drinking wouldn't be cool, so I faked it. Paul didn't like it either. It was getting close to my curfew, so I said, I gotta get home. You guys coming? Yeah, I'm out of here, Paul said. Then he called to Jimmy. Let's go, Jim. 
You guys go, he said. I'm going to hang out a little while longer. Before we knew it, it was Labor Day, and school started. We had different homerooms, and our schedules were not the same. We'd pass each other in the halls, but after school, we still met at the park, and every Saturday at the sugar shack. By November, the fall was setting in, and the drop in temperature thinned out the gang. After a while, we saw less and less of everyone. It happens, I guess. People get other interests. Paul's father bought the neighborhood grocery, and Paul spent his free time there. My brothers opened a restaurant, and my mother made them put me to work. It was late afternoon on the Friday before Thanksgiving, and my eyes were glued to the wall clock in the classroom. Suddenly, an announcement came over the loudspeaker. The president had been shot. The entire room gasped. As the principal reported the details, some of the girls started crying. My throat tightened. It must have been some sort of accident, I thought. I mean, the president? Shot? Probably just a minor injury. Everyone was dismissed immediately. Outside, I searched for Jimmy and Paul. We lit up and headed home, exchanging opinions about what probably happened. The news always blows everything up, Jimmy said in his usual confident tone. He laughed slightly and added, He probably got shot in the foot. They'll put a Band-Aid on it and send him home. Yeah, probably, he replied. Then Paul added, Hey, it got us out of school an hour early. We all laughed and continued on home. When I walked into the house, I saw my mother sitting on the couch. Her eyes glued to the television. They killed the president, she said in Italian. He died? I replied. Yes, she said. I dropped my books on the coffee table and sat down next to her. I watched as Walter Cronkite held back tears as he gave the details. Something inside me changed. It was the same feeling I had when I heard the news about Hammerhead. Then I thought about Jimmy and wondered how he would react to the news. The whole world seemed to change that day. Like everything else with time, the tragedy was forgotten. We persevered through high school. Jimmy and I went on to college. Paul's father transformed the grocery store into a pizza place. Today they have ten stores. Before long, we hardly ever spoke to one another. I figured Jimmy would end up a doctor or a lawyer. He was the smartest of the three of us, but instead he became a teacher. He started drinking that day in the park and never stopped. Four years passed. One day a letter came for me. It was a wedding invitation from Jimmy. I smiled as I read who he was marrying, our high school homecoming queen. She was the best-looking girl in our class, and of all the jocks and greasers in the city that tried to date her, Jimmy, with his carefree, don't-give-a-shit attitude, got her. Jimmy's wedding was on a hot, bright Saturday afternoon in mid-July. I'd never seen him so happy as I watched him escort his new bride down the aisle. After the ceremony, Paul and I made our way across town to the reception hall. The ballroom was buzzing with conversation and cocktail music coming from a small band of musicians in a far corner. 
We crossed the room, slipping our way between shoulders to the bar. Paul wedged himself between the mass of guests, all trying to get the bartender's attention. Finally, his turn came and he ordered us two scotches. We retreated into the crowd, exchanged small talk, catching up with each other while everyone waited for the wedding party to be announced. We'd just got refills when a man with a microphone on the bandstand brought everyone to attention. We watched as he announced the wedding party. Finally, Jimmy and his new bride entered. The room exploded in applause. They took their seats at the head table. The best man gave a toast, and everyone sat down for dinner. After dessert, people got up to dance. Paul and I went to the bar. I was surprised to find Jimmy there alone, throwing down shots, a cigarette wedged between his fingers. He saw us and looked over. Hey, he called in an alcohol-induced tone. Get over here. Let's have a drink. Bartender, give these two paper boys a drink. We joined him at the bar. The bartender dropped two drinks in front of us. We tapped glasses. Paul and I took a sip. Jimmy downed his. Immediately, he ordered another one. Hey, Jimmy, take it easy, Paul said. It's my wedding day, man. If you don't slow down, I joked, you won't make it to your honeymoon. Yeah, he slurred. Come on, let's drink to the paper boys. He held up his glass, gave us a heavy-eyed look, and added, Remember those guys? Okay, one more, I said. Paul ordered three more, and Jimmy ordered us to raise our glasses again. To the paper boys, Jimmy announced. Then he added with a slight laugh, Too bad Hammerhead couldn't make it. I looked at him. He looked at his glass, then took a swig. We stood silent a while. Finally, his wife came and snatched him away. I watched him lumber into the crowd. We all went back to our lives and lost touch with each other. Years passed. One day, I stopped by a local bar for a drink. It was mid-afternoon, and the place was empty except for one man sitting alone. A line of smoke snaked up from the ashtray in front of him. I looked at him. It was Jimmy. I slid onto the stool next to him. The bartender gave me a mixed look of concern and relief. Jimmy turned slightly. He gave me a double take. Tony, he said. How's it going? How you been? I'm doing okay. How about you? I asked. Hey, I got three kids now, he slurred. What are you drinking? I looked at him, then shot a glance at the bartender. He raised his eyebrows, shook his head slightly. What can I get you? he asked. Uh, scotch on the rocks, I replied. He walked to the end of the bar. A minute later, he returned and set a glass in front of me. Jimmy looked up. Benny, he said. This is my friend Tony. We were paper boys a long time ago. He offered his hand and I shook it. Nice to meet you he said, then walked to the far end of the bar. I looked at Jimmy. His eyes were fixed on his glass. It was mid-afternoon, and he was drunk. Finally, I exclaimed, Three kids! Holy shit! 
Come on, he said. Let me buy you a drink. I got one, I said. Well, he said, then buy me one. I don't think you need one, I said. We stayed silent. I sipped my drink. Jimmy stared at his ice cubes. He took a long drag of his cigarette, exhaled, and in a half-comatose tone said, What happened to those paper boys, Tony? I glanced at him, then looked away, and mulled over what he'd said and replied, Nothing, man. They just grew up. He regarded me for a moment, then replied, Not all of them. I knew what he meant. After all the years, Hammerhead's death still haunted him. Jimmy, why are you doing this to yourself, man? He gave me a blank stare, then called, Benny, give us a couple more. Jimmy, come on, I'll take you home, I said. I appreciate your concern, but my therapy session isn't over yet, he said with a smirk. Benny brought us two more drinks. We made small talk for a while. Finally, I took my last sip. I got to get going, Jimmy, I said. Come on, let's go. You go ahead, he said. I looked at Benny. He'll be okay he said. He doesn't drive. I call him a cab every night. You got a pen? I asked. Benny pulled a pen from his shirt pocket. I grabbed a cocktail napkin from the bar and scribbled my number on it. Jimmy, here's my number. Give me a call, I said. He looked at me, then his eyes shifted to the paper. Yeah, let's get together, he said and took the paper. Take it easy, man. I looked at him, wanting to say something, but nothing seemed right. Finally, I said, I'll see ya. I turned and walked away. That was the last time I saw Jimmy. On the way out, two guys were coming in. As we passed each other, I heard one remark, There's Jimmy, holding court. Let's see if he's buying he said jokingly. Jimmy Foley could have been anything he wanted to be, President of the United States. He was smart and everything came easy for him, but nothing seemed to move him, not money or girls. I thought maybe it was because of living in his brother's shadow or his relationship with his father or his high IQ or maybe all of those things. Jimmy was searching for something. He found it that day in 1962. I guess if the story hadn't ended the way it did, if it had veered in the direction Jimmy had planned, the results would have been different. It's been at least ten years since that last day in the bar. But I know I'll miss Jimmy. Sometimes I think about those days. I wonder about those three boys and wish I could go back and hang out with them again before a lunatic with a rifle changed the world and before a freak accident changed my friend. Are you going to sit there all morning? Jessie's voice brought me back. I looked up at her. She handed me a sheet of paper. Come on, here's the grocery list and pick up the clothes at the cleaners. I slipped the obituary back into the envelope, gulped down the last of the coffee, 
and walked out to my car. The morning paper was lying in the driveway. I picked it up. Today it's delivered by someone in a car wrapped in plastic. I peeled off the plastic and folded it the way we used to. I aimed at our front steps and flung it. Bullseye. The end. And that is the end of Paper Boys by Antonio Camisso. A good book you should check out. And audio book you should check out at audible.com. Uh, obviously, the uh, the paperback or the, I'm sorry, the, uh, the online book uh, that you read is... Uh, available at Amazon and the audiobook audiobook is available at Audible like I said so that is it for today that brings us to the end of yet another episode of Tom reads your story portions were pre-recorded please tell your friends if you enjoyed your visit today because we are always looking for new ones Thanks, Anchor.fm, for this opportunity. I greatly appreciate it. Take care, everyone. Bye now. This is Tom Zania. For more information on my availability for your e-learning, commercial, or audiobook project, visit my website at www.tomzvoices.weebly.com. We hope you visit us again real soon for another episode of Tom Reads Your Story.